You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. If you wanted to think about the lowest of the low, this was the Samaritans. Um, this is why, on a side note, if you read the parable of the Good Samaritan, reread it with those eyes, because it makes much more sense why the story is so, like, gripping. Wow, the good guy's a Samaritan? This Jesus is crazy. They're the bad guys. They're the scum. Doesn't Jesus know that? I know he didn't go to seminary. But still, I think he would know that. And here's the thing. If you, if you know your geography, some of your Google map types, you would love this, right? If someone was traveling from the city of Galilee to the, in the north to Jerusalem in the south, she could make it in two days if she went directly through the region of Samaria. Two-day journey. But as much as Google Maps tells you it would cut down your travel time to go through Samaria, a law-abiding Israelite would not do it. They, they didn't even want the bottoms of their shoes to touch the borders of that region of Samaria. So they would take six days to purposely go around that area to get to where they needed to be. Six days instead of two. So keep all that in your mind and see verse 4 again, where it says, Jesus had to go through Samaria. And when you read that, you might think there was like construction going on or like roads. were No, he had to go through Samaria because there was a very pointed purpose of why he was being led that way. This was not a travel decision, but Jesus had a very clear purpose. So we have, a, we have an extremely peculiar scene where this guy, Jesus, he's sitting by the well and this woman comes along. She don't even got a name here. She's Samaritan woman. And she's fulfilling her daily task of drawing her water. But then the story takes a real surreal turn as this Jesus asks this woman for a drink of water. And for, all, you know, for us, it probably doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But some of that cultural background, some of the historical, geopolitical political background, it helps us to understand why this story would cause such a stir among the Hebrew people. I mean, if they had Twitter back then, yo, it would be going crazy. It'd be trending on everyone's timeline. Crazy Jesus, Samaritan woman, hashtag water at the well, you know, whatever it'd be. And the thing is, it, it wasn't just other folks who would be confused by this, but we see that the woman herself was taken aback by the scandal of what's going on here, even as she's in the middle of it. I mean, she doesn't know what to do when this strange Israelite, this man, he asks her for a drink. Look at her response in verse 9. How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Another way to hear that is for us, how can a dominant Majority culture, Jew, interact with me in this minority and oppressed culture that we stand in right now. How can you do that? Because again, you got to get this. Jews, they had no dealings with Samaritans. That's just not the way it worked. That might seem weird for us to consider, but I, I, this past a few months ago, I had the opportunity to be in Birmingham, Alabama, and I made sure while I was there to go to Civil Rights Institute, Civil Rights Museum, and just, it's insane for me to see all of these real-life remembrances of things that happened within a lifetime of people who are still alive today. 
It's insane that there were water fountains that you had to act, go to separately based on the color of your skin. That there were um, dining establishments that you could not frequent if your skin had a little bit too much melanin in it. That you were kept out. That there were transportation injustices. That there were all these different marks of separation and segregation based on the color of people's skin. This is not ancient history. This just happened. And if you think about thinking this story, it'd be like that first time when no one's ever seen folk eating together. And that first person that sits down at the dining, at, at the seating in a restaurant that's supposed to be for whites only. But a black person does. Think of like the scandal it would cause. And all of that, it helps us to better understand why Jesus' actions in this story are so remarkable. It provides us insight into the way that Jesus operated on a very normal basis. He was always considering the other. And I'm going to use that word a lot here. When I say other, I don't mean less than. I don't mean weirdo. I just mean other from dominant majority culture. He was always considering the other. He was always considering the stranger. He would go out of his way to not be in all of the normal spheres of society, but to be with those who would cast to the margins. And, and I want us to unpack this a bit here, because in one sense, that's spiritual. Even what happened to this woman here. Um, all of us, if you're here and if you confess Jesus as Lord, if you follow him as your Savior, um, we believe that before we were in a right relationship with God, we were all strangers. Um, I mean, we were all at an enormous distance from God because of this innate rebellious nature that we would call sin. Every single one of us. Don't matter if you were born into a pastor's family and saw, went to VBS since you were three months old. We are all similarly born in that same state of rebellion and distance from God. So, yeah, in one sense, if you're a Christian, this Jesus has welcomed you in as an, as an other, as a stranger. That's really true. That's theologically accurate. But, but here's my point. We got to be really careful and mindful that we don't over-spiritualize the significance of what Jesus is doing here in welcoming the other. Because, yeah, in some sense, it's very spiritual. Uh, but, but sometimes if we cast a real wide net of like, kind of a spiritual application here, um, we, may feel, we may fail to recognize a little bit how Jesus was very actively working in earthly terms as well. What I mean by that is, in this story of the Samaritan woman, if you read later in the story, we can rejoice that this woman received salvation in Christ. And in that way, you know, it's, she experiences the miracle that all of us have if you've experienced salvation in Christ, regardless of our ethnicity, skin tone, religious background, that a person far off from God has been brought home. That's a miracle for anyone, and that's tremendous, and we, th we should give great celebration. But don't miss the very social and cultural ramifications of Jesus' actions here. In his intentional reaching out to the Samaritan woman, Jesus was making a very, very loud statement on welcoming those that, consi that society considers the other. He was making a very loud statement on justice. And this concept of caring for the other, it didn't start with Jesus. God's heart of justice is all over the scriptures. God has always been on the side of the other. 
The scripture, in a way, it, de- it describes this as God's defense of the widow and the orphan. That's literally, but it's also a way to say those who are kind of left without someone to defend them. God has been on the side of those, those who cannot defend themselves. God actively cares for those that society casts to the margins. That's the way our God operates. He fights for the weak and the poor amongst us, for the foreigner, for the other. God loves the other. I won't be clear here because, y'all, people can always pick apart by God. So are you saying that God doesn't love everyone? How can God love someone more? His love is perfect. Yeah, God loves everyone. Praise God. Um, It doesn't mean that God doesn't love all people. But this is really interesting. In the scriptures, if you do a study of it, 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 I find it fascinating that it doesn't find God really described as the defender of of the mighty. They call him the defender of the weak, of the widow, of the orphan, of the powerless. It doesn't really say God, the defender of the strong. Why? I mean, because those who are in power, those who are in the majority, they don't need someone to defend them, or they don't think they do. They're good, or they think they're good. They've got cultural power, but God seems to go out of his way to clearly state that if you are a part of my new people— If you're a part of this new family that I'm creating, you will own certain values as I do. That includes caring for the other. Because God cares for the other, we also care for the other. And when we would say other, maybe we can describe it in this way. Those made in the image of God, yet for social, cultural, economic, political reasons, have been shunted to the margins. God cares for the other. So like Jesus with this Samaritan woman, it means active engagement with the other in solidarity, in communion, in love. Sitting on the sidelines is not an option for the follower of Jesus. So like many of you, I was mortified of another mass shooting yesterday in El Paso especially as reports start to come out on the fatalities. And, you know, just imagine how many lives, how many families have been permanently altered by evil. And even while processing that, I mean, late last night, I got up in the morning, I hear there's another mass shooting in Dayton. I guess we can call it another day because it happened after midnight. It's unreal. And, I mean, even with the horror of these tragedies, I would describe myself as numb more than anything. I'll be honest, like three, four years ago, this happened, I'm all over it. I'm like, you know, this, this, you know, advocate. I'm just numb. I'm like, what? Seriously? And, and that's frightening to me personally. Just, I'm just talking for myself because it's, it's just become way too normal. I mean, it bothers me, but I, I can kind of move on because it's just like you start to get adjusted to it. And, and I, I want to I be really clear. You, we always got to be mindful how we process news because I don't know about you, but I, I know I am prone to rush into thoughts without knowing everything. That's just the way I'm an Enneagram 8, so I'm right into that, right? Um, I know I can do that. I got to be really careful. But it seems from reports that we're seeing that the shooter in El Paso was very influenced by certain streams of thought fearing the influx of the immigrant. 
in this case, the Hispanic population and how it's changing America. And there is speculation, again, we don't have every fact, but what we can go on right now, that this, ta- that this act was not just some random, but this was a focused act of domestic terror, specifically targeting a store near the border where many people of Hispanic culture may have been shopping, especially with school coming up, many families together in that place, knowing what's going on. And just on, on, on a side note, if you are of Hispanic, a Hispanic or Latinx heritage, um, I just want to say how grieved I am for maybe some of the fear you might be experiencing, whether it's for yourself or for others. Um, and I won't even assume, I mean, we like to think of church as a safe place, but I'm not even going to assume that being at a church among Christians in this day and age in our country feels like a safe place of refuge. But, I mean, I hope that our church can be that for you. Um, I mean, and for anyone else who feels like you lie in the cultural margins. Again, just getting really careful. Um, We don't know every detail of something like El Paso, and I want to be mindful of that. Here's the thing, though. One thing I think I can state pretty clearly without even knowing everything is this is not an isolated incident. The details might be different, um, but I believe if you just track what there, there's a general, it's reflective of a general move of fear and hate, but one that's specifically fueled by white nationalism. If you just look at this, and that's not every situation, obviously. And I, 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 I'm not tone deaf here. If this feels like I'm getting political and, and maybe you feel like, yo, that's just inappropriate for church, I want to explain. Um, I believe that the church should not be partisan. What I believe that if I'm up here and I'm telling you, yo, if you do not vote for this particular party or candidate, you are being disobedient to God. You need to repent. How can you be a Christian and vote for that party with their beliefs and those? And you know what's the funny thing? People on both sides can say the exact same thing. How can you follow Jesus and be blank? So I don't think a church is meant to be partisan. And if I ever do cross those lines, please let me know gently. But here's the thing. Even though we're not partisan, it doesn't mean we're not political. It's all political. It's all political. Especially when people's lives are literally at stake. So I want to be crystal clear here. There is a sin issue in our nation. And while I don't believe it's necessarily it's growing, I I actually think it's more, it's just being uncovered what's always been there and just giving more freedom to be out in the public, in the light. This sin is white nationalism fueled by white supremacy. And we are witnessing the, the bitter and murderous fruit of this sin. So, There are many layers to this, and there's just no way I can unpack in one short message like this. But I want to make really clear what I'm not saying before some of you start writing your emails. I want to make really clear what I'm not saying, just in in case there's any confusion, or just in case I am sowing seeds of discord in an unbiblical manner. I want to be really mindful I'm not doing that. Here's a few things. I am not saying it is bad to be white. (laughs) And part of me, like, I'm like, do I even have to say that? But lest there is any confusion, because we live in a confused culture, I want to be explicitly clear what I mean by this. 
Because if we're serious about issues of reconciliation at our church, like I hope we would be, it means affirming the image of God in every single person, whatever you look like, wherever you're from. And that means if you are white, it is not something to be ashamed of. You are lovingly made by God the way you are. And that's good. God don't make mistakes. Because too many, in my opinion, too many public discourses on race and ethnicity, it leads down this path towards white guilt. And I don't think that's necessarily beneficial. I don't know if it's helpful. I'm not saying there are not particular ways differently that maybe as, as someone who's white, that you might be compelled to respond to racial injustice that's different than a person of color. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying at this, at, at this church, at least, I hope that you are loved like any person would be. If you ever don't feel, because of even some stuff that like some crazy pastor up front says, let me know, because that's something I need to wrestle with then. So I'm not saying it's bad to be white, just in case you want to start flaming me. That's not what I'm saying. I love white people. You can tweet that part out. Here's another one. I'm also not saying that it's sinful to love your country. You need to hear that. I personally love America. My parents sacrificed much to come to this country. I love being here. That doesn't mean I don't grieve over our nation's sins and that I want to see some things changed. I love this country and I think it's fine to love your country. Just not more than you love your God. It's not wrong to love your country. I'm also not saying that it's inappropriate to have well-thought-out convictions on immigration and border policies. I'm not saying that it's sinful to have some convictions on what you think are appropriate uh, immigration policies. And, and you can even have vigorous debate about that. For the Christian, I mean... Immigration and, and, you know, this, these issues, these are deep and difficult issues that I think have to be considered with, like, a lot of biblical wisdom and compassion. I mean, it's just way too complex to formulate, like, cogent streams of thought from, like, a few tweets. And that's how we think in America now, right? Based on a few tweets. This is way too complex for that. So I hope all that is clear. If it's not, let me know. Because here's what I am saying. There is a tide of anti-other sentiment moving through our country against the foreigner and people of color. Whether it is subtle, whether it's overt, it is there. And, and I know maybe even in this room, some of the response to say, yo, there's no way to document that. That's just like feelings or like isolated incidents. Or, or it's, like, it's like a political strategy that's really formulated to rile people up. By, by folks with agendas. And you know what? Some of that might even be very true. But for what it's worth, personally as a minority in this nation, I observe and have even experienced some of this in my own ways. I just have. And if you never have, uh, praise God, but I have. You know, I know we've had a lot of discourse recently in the past month about um, like who's really American and language like go back where you've come from. Go back where you belong. You know, part, part of me would like to say, you know, that, that's really isolated. That doesn't happen to too many. But I've had it happen to me. I don't know how many times I count since I've been a kid to even recently. And you know what's the funny thing? When you're in the middle of a conflict, 
you know, I got to be real honest. A lot of it came when I was in conflict with someone. Not recently, not like last week, but when I was a little younger. I would get in conflict. And, you know, when you, when you get in on someone and they got nothing else to say, what it comes back to, go back to your own country. And, you know, even as someone born and raised and bred in this country, you can easily feel like another, like you're not really American. So I've had it happen to me, but the scary thing is when you start to hear reports and asking for, has anyone else experienced this? (laughs) So many people have experienced this in really strong overt ways or more subtle means that you don't belong. There's something there. And I think that people with influence are stoking the fires of anti-other belief. And I I just think it's very obvious that it's intended to fan the flames of fear and loss. And we must be better than that. Because the scary thing is when we talk about fear, is that the way we manage our fear, and we all do this whether we recognize it or not, is when we have fear, we need to do whatever we can to do violence to that fear. Because it's crippling. And, And when our fear is based on other people, the result is often dehumanize another person. I mean, it's what happened to the Samaritans in Jesus' time. They were not considered fully human, though they had the same kind of skin, bled the same kind of blood, feared the same kind of things. They were not considered fully human. They were not considered in the image of God. They were dehumanized. That's actually the thing that like, ticked me off the most about all this discourse about Baltimore recently in the past few weeks. It's not that I don't see issues in our city. You'd have to be blind not to see some of the issues in our city. And that's why we're doing some of what we're doing, because we want to see things be better. But it's in some of the language that's been shared, it dehumanizes a whole population of people. That if somehow you're from here or you choose to be here, what, what in your right mind would want you to do that? You must not really be human. And take away people's identity and just lump into this subhuman kind of idea. That's what gets me mad. Because it rips the humanity away from people made in the image of God. And I'm going to say this. To dehumanize another person, it is demonic. To dehumanize another person is demonic because it's the exact opposite of what God did to lovingly create each person as someone to bear his image. It's demonic because it goes against the exact opposite of what God did to do. Take each one of you and make you exactly the way you are and the way you look and where you would live and what you would love and what would bring you fear. He made all of you to be you. So to dehumanize that is demonic. It's anti-Christ. Correspondingly, what white supremacy does, it establishes false measures and categories of what it means to be human. And we need to do everything within our power to repudiate that sinful assumption. So what does it mean to be active? Laws are important. Laws are very important. That's why politics are important, like I said earlier. And we should engage in advocacy as necessary. Again, because people's lives are at stake. Laws matter. But it's also recognition that even if you can change every law, we also have another goal as people who follow this Jesus. We desire the heart to be transformed. And that can only truly happen in the power of Christ. And I know that this will get my mic cut off on CNN, but it's the biblical truth. 
If we really want to see change, we need to ultimately see the heart and the soul be transformed in Jesus. Part of that is just biblical, and I can give you all the verses, but honestly, I just look at my own life, and I think I shared my, my own journey a little bit with you. I, you know, I was like a good kid, but I started to take on much, especially in terms of racial hatred and animosity to the point where it's like, I'm not taking it anymore. I built up so much anger. I saw this stuff. I saw all these different expressions of hatred and bigotry and racism. So I was like, yo, I'm kind of big. Okay, I don't need to take this anymore. And I engaged very actively against it to the point of expressing myself violently. I hated people. I hated people of other races, other ethnic. I even hated other Asian peoples, right? I was like a bigot. I was angry. I was full of mad uh, passion and I needed to let it go on someone to the point where one day after many fights, I actually got caught in one fight and I got thrown out of school. I, got, I had to get arrested. I get all these stupid things happen to me. So the law stopped me in my tracks. I was a much more hesitant to start something with someone after that. I was like, that's not wise. That's not good. So the law stopped me, but my heart was still angry. So the law has a purpose. But you know what's ultimately transformed my heart? Is I, I was an angry person, and I, but I started to explore who Jesus was in this church. Not this church, but in another church when I was much younger. And I started to learn about this Jesus who actually loved his enemies and went out of his way to care for those who spoke ill of him and were evil and, and just did horrible things to him. And he loved them to the point where he would give up his life. And you know what I came to realize? It's not just the other, I'm that other. He did that for me. He gave up his life for me when I was his enemy, when I was a stranger, when I was set apart from him. How dare I hold that back from someone else? And God just beat my heart in a good way. Sometimes it was a good beating. I'm not advocating violence, but he beat my heart to recognize how much anger was in there, how much frustration, how much pain. And no matter how much I think I needed to fix it, the only way it would be fixed if I surrendered myself to Christ's work. He transformed me. He broke me. And sometimes people have asked me, how do you know that you're really a Christian? I can give out theology, but honestly, I sometimes just get to bed. Yo, I'm such a different person. I used to hate so much, so angry, so angry, so violent, so vicious. And in the midst of that, I just experienced a savior who loved me and held me and changed me. And now, like all I wanna do is love people who are different than me. Like I can't produce that. I'm not saying it's easy, but I can't, I can't fake that. There's like something within me that's changed. And it's why I believe so much of what we do here at the village. And we are not a perfect church in any way. But as we live for reconciliation with God and with one another, I, I, you know, I, I love what we see here doing. Um, I mean, I imagine, I'm not even trying to be funny here, but I imagine that what we're doing here as a community, as we bring together people of different cultures, it would genuinely make some people around our country throw up. Like if we had a video cam in here right now, they're looking, there's a, like start dry heaving. Like, so disgusted. Like, I mean, some of you different ethnicities might even, like, meet and fall in love and have, like, weird multicultural babies and dilute real America even more. Imagine. 
But I mean, to, to be serious, it, it's got to be more than just kind of like hanging out here together. I mean, it's one thing to be in close proximity with those who look different than you. But it's another matter to be in relationship with someone who is of a different cultural background than you are. And we have got to be actively in the lives of those who maybe we are different from. Man, the church, and when I say the church, I mean like this larger idea of this gather people of Christ. The church, it's got to be, it's just got to be more than just folks that we have to hang out with who are kind of holier than other people. It's got to be more than just this weekly meeting we come to once a week. I mean, the church, we have got to like claim this idea that, that the church is this declaration of war. I mean, and some of you pacifists, just stay with me for a minute, right? But the church, we, we are like a declaration of war uh, against the forces of evil, against our adversary. Like when we are together, this is like shaking our fist at the enemy. This is a declaration of war. But here's the thing. The way we conduct war, it's, it's following the strategy of our general. And his name is Jesus. And the way that he conducts evil or violence against evil is by sacrifice. It's by service. It's by generosity. It's by ultimately giving his life for his enemies. That's the way he conquers death. That's the way he conquers racism. That's the way he conquers evil, by giving himself and love and inserting himself into the lives of those who probably don't deserve it, but who hopefully receive graciously what this God has done for them. That's how Jesus fought. And I want us to follow him. You know, I, I look, like just yesterday, man, I just was, it was just, it's hard. And I want to see change in our country. I want to see change in our city. But what God brought, back, brought me back to is a reminder, what we want to see happen nationally has to start locally. What we want to see on a bigger scale has to start with small individual spheres of relationship. And hopefully it butterflies out. And part of that is being a community who live with one another, who put our lives in one another, but that also pray, to, pray together, realizing we are in war. This is war. And our enemy is crafty. He's even using many people who would confess the name of Christ to divide and to conquer. We need to counterculturally be unified especially amongst lines that would be very easy to be divided by, and we need to commit to one another. So we, I, want, I want to do this, and this wasn't necessarily planned, but I believe it'd be appropriate. I want us to pray. I want us to pray. And we're going to open up this... Mike, here, Pastor Larry, can we move it up a little bit? We're going to open up this mic, and we're just going to... I, I think it'd be a little awkward to break up into groups just because not everyone knows each other perfectly well. But we're going to just pray in one group, and I'm going to ask us to do that by one at a time. Come up to this mic and just pray on some of these things. Whatever you feel the Spirit is leading you to pray, maybe it's repentance, maybe it's lament, maybe it's heartbreak, maybe it's hope. Maybe it's intercession for our city or for our nation. Maybe it's for our president. Whatever it might be, whatever the Lord leads you to pray, I want us to come up to this mic in short prayers. It should not be long. This is not your chance to start preaching. Short prayers, and you get down, we can make a line. And let's just have as much prayer as we can, because I think there's power when we pray together. So let me start, and I'm going to ask you, just start coming up. Just start lining up, and let's pray together. Lord, 
Help us, God. Help us, God. Lord, we are people who consider ourselves so wise and we have so many answers, but yet you're showing us the folly of our ways. And God, perhaps in your mercy, you're inviting us back to you. So Lord, we can't control what happens nationally, but Lord, we can own our own little sphere of land you've given us, the space you've called us to live and to dwell and to be with others. So Lord, may we own that as your followers and declare war on evil even in showing love and sacrifice and service, just as our great general did. So help us even right now as we pray, Lord. Lead us. Holy Spirit, do something in this room where we repudiate these sins by showing what the kingdom of God is to look like. So help us, Lord. shy. Let's pray. Lord, please help us to be people of Proverbs 31. In 8 and 9, where you ask us to open our mouths for the mute and defend the rights of all who are destitute. To open our mouths and judge righteously and to defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Um, God, I want to pray for, um, I thank you so much for the Hispanic kids who have um, made it to this country safely, Lord, especially the high school students. Um, and I just want to specifically pray for the high school kids who are from Latin America. Um, I pray that <clears throat> you would keep them out of trouble, God, especially those who are in our city. I pray that you would send um, good people into their lives, uh, good mentors to keep them out of trouble, God. I pray that they would stay away from the gangs. And um, I pray for the people, who, the kids who are in gangs, God, that you would send um, good people to mentor them and to show them a better way. Um, but I pray that you would give them a good future um, and keep them out of trouble and let them do well in school. God Almighty, um, this week I'm particularly affected by divisions and violence as we hear the news, as we witness hatred in politics. And uh, I pray that you make each one of us who will believe in you make a difference in our work in our schools make our students stop fighting each other I really pray that each one of us become, become an agent of peace 
that we're able to leave the word in the way we see each other, in the way we talk to each other, and in the way we pray for those who hate, who are violent. Please make us true instrument of peace, God, in every day, on a daily basis. In Jesus' name I pray. Father, give wisdom to those in power, give peace to those who suffer, and compassion to those who hate. both individually and corporately for the ways we've disobeyed your command to love you and to love others in pursuit of our own self-preservation. Father, would you teach all of us to stop blaming others and start blaming ourselves, taking responsibility and accountability for our sin, our hatred, our conflict, and our inability to love. Forgive us, break us, renew us. stand together as we prepare to continue to worship the Lord because ultimately in any situation of life our response should be worship but sometimes worship and depending on your background worship can take many different forms and I would encourage you if it leads you to prayer if it leads you to continue to do what you're doing and maybe it is lament maybe it's crying out feel free to do that during our response we also open the table in front of me and we have the bread and the two cups signifying the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. And if you are a Christian, I would encourage you to come up both aisles, take a piece of the bread, dip it into the cup right there at the table and eat it. And remember, remember the countercultural way that our Lord leads us. He does violence to himself so that we could have peace. May we be people who follow him in loving others in the same way. And we pray for our city, our state, and our nation and our world. So I would invite you to do that as we sing. If you're not a Christian, maybe the Lord is speaking to you today to invite you into this family, this weird hodgepodge people from all over kind of family. That's crazy how God works, but it's beautiful. We want you to be a part of that. 
And part of that includes saying, hey, Lord, here is a, how, how I fall short. And let me know the Jesus who died in my place so I don't have to die for those sins. And maybe for some of us, we're honest enough. We do have hatred of other people. And that's what we need to lay down before God's feet. Bring that to him today. So let's sing, let's receive the Lord's Supper, and let's worship God.